This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. So what exactly do the companies Salesforce, Levi's Jeans, or even Apple, as in the Apple on your phone, what do they all have in common? Well, increasingly, they're all taking a stance on behalf of a wide range of social issues. Most recently, the Salesforce CEO weighed in quite audibly on a proposition that was on the ballot for San Francisco voters around housing and homelessness. A few months prior to that, Levi's Jeans took a very rigorous stance against gun violence by coming out with a major donor support for Everytown, the anti-gun violence group led by former mayor of New York, Michael Bloomberg. And Apple CEO Tim Cook actually took a very visible stance against the FBI during the Obama administration when heads of the FBI wanted to go after a specific Apple iPhone, unlock it, and unearth the data on it as it pertained to an ongoing investigation. Tim Cook, however, Apple CEO, said no go and made a very rigorous and audible stance against the needs of the government versus balancing consumer privacy. In each instance, we're seeing the rise of the CEO statesman or stateswoman, in which more and more privately held or even publicly traded companies whose business tends to just be that of doing business are increasingly having conversations with their communities, their neighbors, with charitable organizations, and elements of society that have to do with the greater good. So why exactly are so many companies leaning into a space that tends to extend beyond the purview of their core day-to-day business? Joining today's podcast is the head of social impact for Lyft. Lyft has not only defined a brand focused on investing in community, but it's also done incredible things to tackle things like climate change, turning out vote operations to make sure more and more of the electorate understand what their rights are around voting, and even leaning into curricula development and career workforce pathways for its own fleet of drivers around the country. So we're going to find out why exactly are tech platforms increasingly consumed with doing social good? This is American Enough with your host, Vikram Iyer. So an incredible thing is happening on the margins of the UN General Assemblies this year. In addition to delegations from around the world sent by individual countries, you also have an extraordinary number of businesses um, that are having conversations around their role in public policy outcomes and civic outcomes. And those businesses aren't just sort of the expected large enterprises. You know, we might see a commercial from Goldman Sachs or J.P. Morgan Chase about investing in small business. Maybe that's to be expected. But we're also seeing businesses like yours, Lyft, that just a few years ago wasn't a household name, show up to these conversations to really talk about the role that a tech platform has and how its superpower can be applied to the betterment of a community. Talk to us a little bit about why a ride-sharing company, arguably a transportation company, would be in the thick of, of trying to create programs around social impact? Yeah, well, first off, I think this goes back to the culture and values question. Uh, Lyft has always been a values, purpose-driven company ever since the Zimri days when they were 
you're really revolutionizing this idea of ride sharing. And the focus wasn't just on reducing traffic and congestion, the focus is on reducing CO2 emissions and bringing different types of communities together. And so when we thought about our values at Lyft, it's not surprising that two of the core values are be yourself and uplift others. So I think part of this values conversation, first off, stems from this notion of just treating each other within the company well, and then that bleeds over into how we treat passengers and drivers and policymakers and partners. And so I think that part is, is really, really important. And then it goes to the broader mission of the company, which is improving people's lives with the world's best transportation. And it's purposeful that that first part is improving people's lives because transportation can have a transformative effect on folks, right? So let's just take a step back and talk about sustainability for a second, if you don't mind. Absolutely. So we recognize that transportation is one of the biggest emitters of greenhouse gases sure. right now in the world. And we have an opportunity to have a significant impact on that. Sustainability is an issue that's really important to John and Logan, our co-founders. It's why we signed on to pledges like we're still in, advancing the spirit of the Paris Accords and fighting climate change in any way we can. That's a really, really important issue for us. And that's why we launched this Green Cities Initiative last year. We're the first ride-sharing company to be totally carbon neutral, meaning we're offsetting the carbon off every ride. And just last week at the Global Climate Action Summit, we announced that we're 100% renewable. And look, that's just one step towards the future we see, which is a future of shared electric autonomous vehicles. Hopefully one day we won't have to reduce any carbon because we won't be emitting any carbon with sure. a fleet of electric vehicles. Um, and that's just one issue that we can tackle as a transportation company. Yeah, and, and part of sustainability, um, just to stay on that theme for a minute, is this notion of resiliency in sustainable cities and communities. Um, you know, we are our, our, our fellow uh, uh, countrymen in North Carolina, South Carolina, have been affected affected this year by extraordinary hurricanes. Um, and while we all wish them their safety um, and applaud the efforts of you know, FEMA officers and first-line responders, Lyft also played a role um, in that enterprise and it actually offered free rides, discounted rides up to a certain amount for those that were looking to, to mobilize out of there, transport to an evacuation shelter. Um, why is it that you, you, you have this notion of um, improving people's lives, um, but you also find to an average passerby a very unlikely bedfellow of a circumstance, of a partner like first responders on the ground in, in the case of a natural disaster. How do you actually find the areas in which you want to apply that transportation effort for good? Because arguably it could be an infinite number of, of uh, opportunities in which you try and offer these benefits or these subsidies. So how does Lyft think about disaster resiliency versus uh, maybe providing a ride in a unsafe neighborhood um, or anything in between? Well, look, transportation is a pain point for communities all across the country, like you said. That becomes exacerbated during times of natural disasters. So what we do is we actually take a cue from our drivers. This happened organically in Orlando after the nightclub shooting. We saw drivers taking people back and forth to blood banks and delivering supplies to folks. And so in the wake of hurricanes Harvey and Irma, we basically took a cue from our drivers, we geofenced hospitals and shelters, created this relief rides program. Meaning that you guys actually use the, the app to target a specific location. Absolutely. We use the app and we use the ethos of the drivers who want to help their, their members of their own community. And we knew that we could have a real impact here. In addition to using Roundup and Donate to bring Red Cross in as a partner, in addition to providing ride credits for Team Rubicon, who are helping on the ground triage 
these issues. And then we saw that same ethos apply to Las Vegas after the shootings, doing free rides uh, to blood banks, and then after the fires. And then recently, yeah, we've used this program in Hawaii, Hurricane Florence, in Boston, after the recent explosion. And so there's obviously a, a huge opportunity to help folks during the time of disasters. That being said, we were also seeing that these kinds of relief rides were actually being used in local markets all across the country hmm. because transportation is a pain point for folks like low-income seniors who can't get to doctor's appointments, for veterans in transition trying to get to job interviews, for women who are in shelters after they've been domestically abused, 95% of whom don't have access to transportation. Hmm. So this last year, we expanded our relief rides program from just natural disasters to all across the country, and we allocated $1.5 million to that. Additionally, we partnered with United Way. They have this two-on-one program that had already been in existence where people were calling two-on-one for transportation, but they weren't having access to the kind of on-demand, affordable, reliable transportation like Lyft. And so we partnered with them nationally. They're our first big national relief rides partner, but it's, it, it's this notion that we want to be able to do these big national partnerships and focus on the local level. There's just one other example that I think is really interesting. We have a community grants program where 70 markets across the country are allocating $1,000 ride credit grants to different local nonprofits. Oh, no kidding. One of these nonprofits is called Youth Empowerment Project in New Orleans. And basically, these grants are going towards helping their mentors get to see their mentees. Yeah. In a city like New Orleans where public transit does not connect a lot of the city, wow. where taxis traditionally haven't serviced all the city. And now through our ride sharing platform, yeah. we're able to get these mentors to see their mentees. That's incredible. I actually had a little brother through Big Brothers Big Sisters in DC. And when we lived there and like even my, his name was Tierso, him being able to get to me where I live was a bit of a challenge. And you know, we worked through it by using the Metro, but that creates an important bridge for any type of community. Um, one, one thing about the bridges, though, that Lyft has created is it, it almost seems that it has set um, a national playbook for, for other companies to model. Um, you are certainly not the first to engage in, in social impact or, or corporate social responsibility. Everybody from Levi's to financial institutions like BlackRock are in the game. But the tone around which the brand is set, one that's focused on improving people's lives and community, has certainly been a tone that other companies, smaller or larger, um, try and also keep up with. For example, um, you guys have had an incredible partnership with Voto Latino and a few other groups to celebrate civic engagement and participation. And I want to hear a little bit from you more on that, but kind of big picture, when you talk to other companies or you think about other companies trying to set something similarly up, what is your guidance of how trying to do this when they don't necessarily have their co-founders or CEOs from inception saying, these are our core values, this is our ethos, but rather they're now seeing a shift in consumer trend where consumers want to participate for a convenience economy with the platform they believe in. Is there a way to do that authentically? Is there a playbook in which companies can do this to be more mindful and intentional with their work? How do you, how do you sort of see the development based off of what you've built at Lyft? Yeah, well, I think first off, look, the ultimate goal is to build social impact into the fabric of the company so that you're doing it not just as a social good, but because it's going to be good for business as well. Sure. And I think the second part is leveraging that superpower that each company has. For us, it's transportation. And we know that there is a pain point and we can help with transportation. For Airbnb, they're able to provide open homes for people. Postmates is similar and other companies have these unique superpowers. And I think focusing on those powers is key, but I think you said something that's really interesting. 
It's doing it in an authentic way. For us, infusing humanity into transportation was natural for us. That was core to John and Logan ever since the Zimride days. And I think that there's a generation now of millennials who will call you out if you're not authentic. And I think it's also not just about putting out press releases. There has to be action that follows what you're doing, which is why I'm so excited about the Get Out the Vote initiative, like you mentioned, because we saw a stat that showed that 15 million people in 2016 who were registered to vote didn't vote because of transportation purposes. Wow. Meaning we have an opportunity to have a real impact in this upcoming election in getting people to the polls and partnering with When We All Vote and TurboVote and BuzzFeed to help get the word out and then partner with nonprofits like Urban League, Voto Latino, um, other women's orgs and seniors orgs to get underserved communities to the polls with free rides. At the same time, we also have an opportunity to collaborate with companies like Patagonia and Levi's as part of this Time to Vote initiative to make sure that we're doing everything we can to ensure that our communities know about National Voter Registration Day, sure. know about voter registration deadlines, know about opportunities like early voting, know about vote by mail. We have a platform and we have an opportunity to really impact these communities in an authentic way. And civic engagement is a really important topic for John and Logan. It's one of the reasons that we got involved in doing free rides for March for Our Lives. We were inspired by the Parkland students and saw an opportunity to get people more civically engaged. And for this upcoming election season, it's, it's really exciting for us to make sure that everyone, no matter what their political affiliation is, knows about and exercises their right to vote. I think that your, what, what is, you're describing is a company that not only has a core product or a core business, but also has, is mindful of the communities that it touches. And in this country, uh, America is very keen on celebrating entrepreneurship. I would argue at a, at a heightened wave right now, but a part of our imagination has always been that if you work hard and you build things, then you can raise your collective prospects and leave your, your kids a little better off. Uh, but when we talk about entrepreneurship and particularly startup growth in this country, we know there are challenges. We know that access to capital is tough. We know that getting an investor to hear you out can be tough. Building an idea, putting it to market can be tough. So for startups that may say um, early stage or mid stage, I've still got a product to build. I, my team's still got code to write an algorithm to build. Um, I don't have time to invest in these bells and whistles. That would be really nice to engage my community and, and, and throttle up civic participation. How do you uh, sort of socialize or how have you seen a company like yours socialize that this is something that can augment the business, that this can help create stickiness with customer loyalty or other metrics along the way? I think there's a few things. First, we're seeing a trend where millennials are voting with their values and they're voting with dollars and values. Yes. And so being able to lead with your values in an authentic way is important and I think is good for business. Um, I think second, when you're in an industry that's directly tied to policy and politics, I see a trend where social impact strategy, policy and politics are all coming together. And working very closely with cities um, is something that's absolutely paramount for us. And so if you are a startup that's engaging in, an, in a sector where there's policy issues, having a socially minded focus and a, and a collaborative mindset is gonna be very, very critical. For example, as we think about reimagining cities for autonomous vehicles, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of startups in the autonomous, autonomous sure, vehicle sure. space that are very focused on engineering. 
But part of this is also going to mean how can we all work together with cities to reimagine instead of parking lots having a whole set of parks and to think through what cities are going to look like in the era of autonomous vehicles and leading that dialogue in a socially conscious manner, which, by the way, will require a multi-stakeholder approach. It's not just going to be these companies leading um, with their values. It's going to be collaborating with government, with DMVs, with real estate developers, yes. with law enforcement, with accessibility communities. Um, and that's going to stem from coming at, at it from a place of wanting to lead in a socially conscious manner and also knowing that you're going to ultimately have to collaborate with a lot of these stakeholders. Yeah, I, I like that example a lot because when we even think about autonomous vehicles roving um, Lyft also has on its policy team transportation policy minds who are even thinking about the future of the curb space, which sounds very specific and, and maybe benign to most, but if you're reinventing how things and people move in cities, you're also reinventing the infrastructure and the concrete that gets laid down over here versus over there. That's a form of thought leadership at the micro-targeted city level. You mentioned also earlier um, speaking out with regards to the Paris Climate Accords and, and what the current administration did when withdrawing from that agreement. Both examples, you have sort of global thought leadership and then local thought leadership. And it leads me to feel that this day and age, even with the consumer behavior of, of spending with their values in mind, that there's also this rise of the era of the CEO statesman or stateswoman um, weighing in on matters of state. Um, trying to fill vacuums of leadership where maybe there's no national action, goosing long subnational action. Um, with that in mind, it may be tricky to see a company that might get charged as being political in nature. Um, does that provide any risk when it comes to your customer base? When you think about your social impact investments, are you, are you extra mindful about navigating values when it butts up against maybe the values of another potential customer? I think, look, like I said in the beginning, we've always been a value-driven company. We've always been a community-minded company. And so when our community is threatened, um, like it was during the Muslim travel ban, we're going to do things like allocate a million dollars for the ACLU. Yeah. When we see communities like immigrants who are being separated from their families, we're going to stand up and provide ride credits to immigrants to be able to get to the legal clinics. We did 50 different partnerships all across the country around that. When we see issues around LGBTQ rights being threatened, we're going to stand up and say something because this is core to who we are. We are a transportation company and we are also bringing people together in shared spaces where there is a value around respect and dignity and inclusivity. That's very, very important Absolutely. to who we are as a company and, this vi and the vision of the future that we imagine with shared electric and autonomous. And so, yes, we will stand up um, and sign on to agreements to advance the spirit of the Paris Accords. If government isn't doing that, we see that we have a role and responsibility to do that. And more importantly, we're going to continue to lead with our values in, I would argue, a nonpartisan way, having the maximum impact to help as many people as we can with the superpowers that we have. And you've got a, um, a, a fair amount of, uh, I would say that you're, you're in a very unique role because um, even though Mike Masterman is the head of social impact at Lyft, you previously served in roles in, in the government and at the, in the federal government as well. And so I'm curious at this time in American history where there's just been explosive technological growth, reimagining the way we work, there's also been a fair amount of um, intrigue and maybe clouds of concern among government representatives, among regulators as to how to add rules to the road around technology platforms and companies. 
Do you think that there's something unique about the bridge that you bring of thinking about all the stakeholders that you mentioned, whether they're voter engagement efforts, their disaster resiliency efforts? Um, is there a unique insight you bring by being able to bridge stakeholders you may have come across from government engagement and the private sector? And is, is that going to be an important um, bridge to continue to, to minimize the gaps around when, when government thinks about adding rules to the road here? Um, do you think that there's a risk that if we don't have more versions of you or more rotations in and out of government and into the private sector, that we lose the know-how and the empathy that both may need to start having more and more for one another? I think there's an opportunity for us to reimagine that relationship between private sector and government and those of us who have come from government. I think now more than ever, it's our responsibility to learn how to educate government and have government educate the private sector as well. For us to be successful in not just ride sharing, but all I'd say, you know, future tech sectors, we're going to have to be collaborating with government. And I think that, uh, you know, for us, this is also about thinking through how we can work with entities like transit mm -hmm. where at first ride sharing may have been a threat and now transit is integrated into our app yep. and how can we create these partnerships that you know 20 years ago people never could have thought because 20 years ago no one ever imagined you would push a button and a stranger would be picking people up totally. and that that would be a core part of the transportation ecosystem so part of it is i think incumbent upon us who have been in government to really think about what did we learn and not be confined by you know, the bureaucracies that maybe we were exposed to, but really infuse this ethos of collaboration, of reimagination, of creativity, of education, and most importantly, true collaboration. Because for us to be successful, we're gonna have to be able to work together. Yeah. And there's gonna have to be this reimagination on both the part of the private sector and of government. And, and part of what is, um, I think forcing, or, or not forcing, but rather goosing along participation of companies in these broader conversations is the notion of competitiveness. When you take a look at countries like Germany, when they have advanced manufacturing gains, they have those firms actively working with their colleges and academic institutions to backfill in what the new curricula is for the state of the art so workers are trained to plug in. Similarly, if there's a lot of new technologies that are overnight becoming part of our daily fabric, then we need to work together to make sure that we're, we're bridging those divides and, and creating those um, opportunities to collaborate. Is this something that when you see your work or the social impact work that you can kind of, um, it is, is critical to take a, a look at how other countries are engaging in this process as well? Or is there something sort of unique about how American dynamics play out? I know of course um, Lyft has a footprint in, in Canada um, but as you think about how ride-sharing is impacting the world around us, as we think about how communities are shifting, as we think of access to opportunity is shifting, a lot of this can come back to how we compete as a nation. And you all are playing a role by revving engines of growth and earnings, but you're also creating an a, a opportunity for that collaboration to, to be heightened. And examining other countries, we see that there are new ways that we can borrow from others. There are ways that we can export out. How does sort of the global mentality of what's playing out here factor into the way you see your work at Lyft? Well, look, we're constantly looking at different best practices all around the world from different governments and different companies. I think for us, this is about us being able to lead with our values in a socially conscious manner and continue to grow our business. Yeah. And... I think people have actually looked at us as an innovative, thoughtful company 
And I think it all goes back ultimately, and I, and I don't mean to be simplistic here, sure, but sure. I think it's really important the manner in which we just treat each other within the confines of LIP. And that really does spill over into how we engage with the global community and how we engage with our drivers and passengers and engage on really tough issues like the future of work, like the future of cities. Um, and so for us, it's that ethos of really wanting to partner with governments, really wanting to partner with policymakers and regulators, and frankly, fill in gaps where we can and work with partners like United Way that I mentioned, like Team Rubicon, um, who are doing things on a global scale. And while we might be focused in the US and Canada now, um, who knows what will happen in the future. Just to, to close out here, in many respects, a lot of the work that you've cited today, obviously the work of a lot of your product teams, your branding teams, takes a village. Um, it also takes out a lot of third-party partners, some governmental, some nonprofit, some civically organized communities. Um, but you have built a lot of this. You have brought a lot of creative vision and steer to the work that Lyft is doing. How does it feel to just be a civilian now participating in kind of a new set of experiments from the perch of the private sector as we see, you know, tensions roar in this country and new political moments roar in this country. Do you feel that there is an extra sense of responsibility just as a person, um, as a citizen, beyond sort of your lift employment hat um, to, to really try and get as creative as you possibly can with the bully pulpit that you have right now? Well, first off, I'd say John and Logan built the foundation for what we're standing on and then everyone in the team has contributed. So this isn't one thing that, that I personally built. It's, it's, it's absolutely a collective team effort. Um, and yes, I do think we have a moment right now. And I, I spoke here at Concordia yesterday and I ended with a slide that said hashtag values matter because values have always mattered and they will always matter. And right now we have in opportunity and I would argue an obligation to be leading with our values no matter where we are whether we're in academia in civil society whether we're in government or we're in the private sector we absolutely need to be leading by example because the world is watching and we have to get it right Mike Masterman reminding us that no matter what your politics or your mood of the country is right now it's important to lead with your values head of social impact for Lyft thank you so much for joining the pod appreciate your time Thanks for having me. This has been American Enough with Vikram Iyer. American Enough is a production of Mouth Media Network. Contact Vikram with your comments and questions at 844-4-VIKRAM and connect with the show on social media at American Enough. Theme music by Chris Thomas. Episodes available at AmericanEnoughPodcast.com and everywhere the best podcasts are found. To learn more about Mouth Media Network and how you can partner with this podcast, visit MouthMediaNetwork.com. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the hosts, callers, and guests, and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of Mouth Media Network. No portion of this show may be reproduced, published, or rebroadcast without the express written permission of the producers. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.